General, there's been a breach. We need your password so we can lock down the system. My password? Yes, sir, we need your password. The password that I use? Yes, sir, your password. There's been another breach. Sir. Right, okay. I-H-A-T-E-M-Y-J-O-B-1. I hate my job, one. Want to get away? Sometimes we really want to get away because we are just not where we want to be. My name is Danny. I'm the campus minister here at Hope Ames. I also get to be a part of Kairos. And we are hopping into the fourth week already of our series called Isolated. In this series, we're asking, how can I grow my faith even when I'm not where I want to be? It's mostly spending time in a book called Philippians. And there's a guy named Paul who writes this, and he's writing it to his friends in Philippi. Now, Paul is writing from a place where he doesn't want to be. He's writing from prison. One of the things that's very tempting to do when we are where we don't want to be is we complain. And we complain and we say, I want to get away. I'm frustrated with where I'm at. I'm frustrated with my professor. I'm frustrated with being home. I'm frustrated with how long this line is taking at Starbucks. I want to get away. It's complaining. And Paul is writing from a place where he doesn't want to be, but he says, don't fall for that. Instead, you have the opportunity to grow in your faith when you're in those places. Paul gets really practical here. You heard this in the reading nights, Philippians chapter 2, and he says this. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. These are the next steps, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now, what does that look like? What would you think that Paul's about to say? Is Paul about to say, now spend every single minute of your day in the Bible, join the church choir, go on a mission strip? No, Paul says this next. He says the way that you continue to grow in your faith next is do everything without complaining and arguing. Do everything without complaining and arguing. It's kind of surprising. Now, in word, it's pretty simple, but in practice, it can be kind of hard because the truth is, is that we are so prone to complaining. In fact, I think it's hard for me to preach this message on complaining without complaining about complaining. Frankly, complaining is so easy to do that it almost starts to feel like it's only human to do it. Now, before we necessarily go into what Paul is telling us not to do, I want to acknowledge that in order to just laugh at uh, complaining, it's a privilege, right? To be able to look at certain circumstances in our life and be like, I can't believe I complained about that. Oh, it was so easy. That's a privilege. Because there are some people in this world who are dealing with such troubles that it feels like the only thing they can do is to complain. I mean, what might they say to Paul? Is Paul saying you never have the opportunity to express your frustration? Of course he's not saying that. Paul was a Jewish scholar. He knew the scriptures. He knew what the Bible said. And the Bible is full of people acknowledging the things that they don't like. It says this in, in, excuse me, in Psalm chapter 13. There are a lot of psalms that are called psalms of lament. Lament could be synonymous with complaining. And it says this in Psalm 13, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle? It finishes with, How long will my enemy have the upper hand? There are all these psalms of lament. There's an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's basically someone crying out to God saying, I want to get away from here. I don't like this. Jesus himself calls out the things that are wrong in this world. He says in Matthew chapter 23 to a group of people called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious teachers who were just so harsh on everyone else around them saying, you must live up to a certain standard in order for God to love you. Jesus says to them, hypocrites, 
You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus does it. He sets the example. He says that it's okay to name evil what it is. But when we name evil what it is, we are working for people. We are accomplishing God's mission for us to work out of love for justice, mercy, and faith. See, there are certain complaints that are helpful, right? I saw this one this week. This is from uh, a child named Gwen. And uh, Gwen had an issue with Lego and wanted to file a complaint with them. And, and frankly, I think that this is actually helpful. She says, I have, I have a complaint to make about your Lord of the Rings sets. She goes on to say, uh, the Hobbit minifigures, they're wearing shoes. Now, obviously, she goes on to say, if you've seen the movies, you know that Hobbits do not wear shoes. Now, if you could take this to heart, I'd be very happy. Thank you. From Gwen. See, there are certain kinds of complaints that are actually helpful and important, especially the serious ones that lead us toward justice, mercy, and growth in faith. But what kind of complaining is Paul telling us not to do when Paul says, do everything without complaining and arguing? Perhaps he is saying, don't do the kind of complaining that leads to arguing, to divisiveness. Check out this Greek word here. Here's how you say it, gongusmos. If you're wherever you are, wherever you're listening to me right now or watching, go ahead and say that, gongusmos. I'm going to trust that you said it. Now, it does mean to complain, and quite literally, it also means murmur, secret displeasure. It's secretive. It's a mumble. It's passive-aggressive. Quite frankly, it's cowardly. These are the kinds of things that we say in the things that we're saying, who we're saying them about, or what we're saying them about, we would never say it in front of those people. It's a murmur. It's a grumble. It's that thing that somebody says around you and it bothers you, and you kind of lean over to the person next to you and say, oh, if they really know what everybody else thinks of them, you wouldn't want that person to hear. We sometimes go to great lengths to be a little bit passive-aggressive about our complaints. Check this out. I saw this this week. These neighbors don't like each other. The ones on the top floor said they're loud. They write in sticky notes on the windows, and the people below them see that, and they have a complaint to make about the complaint. They say, well, they're loud with the mocking SpongeBob character for everybody else in the world to see, but not the people that they're actually frustrated with. There was one uh, woman who wrote this about her mom on Twitter. She said, LOL, my mom has fought with so many of her friends that this picture is just of her with a bunch of no-headed ladies. And the truth is, is that sometimes complaining takes us to that place. We're so frustrated with the people around us, we're so fed up with them, that we've given up hope on them. And we say, I want to get away from you. I want to get away from you. It can absolutely be divisive. It can absolutely be dangerous. It can absolutely be destructive. Psalm chapter 64, it says this. It says this about the words that we speak. And the people who speak them harshly, they sharpen their tongues like swords and aim their bitter words like arrows. That whole phrase about sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's a lie. It's a complete lie. We can burn down a whole bridge of relationships with people just by the words that we say. And it's not just about other people. Sometimes it's our way of getting back at society. It's our way of getting back at corporations, groups, whatever it is. But it's the murmur. It's the grumble, and it's divisive, and it keeps us 
apart from one another. I want to take you back a few weeks in our series. I brought up this verse. It's from Philippians chapter 1. Paul said this. He said, we're in this struggle together. We are in this together. Look, we're struggling right now. There's no doubt about it. A lot of us are in places that we don't necessarily want to be. You are expecting to be on campus right now, to be with your friends, to be in the classroom. But instead, now we're finding ourselves in our conversations with our friends. We have that conversation. You reach out and say, hey, how are you? And they say, oh, can't complain. How are you? Can't complain. It's kind of maybe a unifying factor. We're in this together. Well, I can't complain, but my professor's really making life hard on me right now. My professor's making online work more time-consuming than the time that I spent on campus. The person says back, yeah, that professor, they just don't understand. I have things to do. Do you notice what happened in that conversation so quickly and so easily? It started with, well, I'm doing, I can't complain, therefore I'm doing well. I mean, it's like virtuous or something to go after not complaining. But we, seem to, we, we can't seem to avoid it. So it immediately goes into something to complain about, and then it's contagious. It's contagious because it's kind of empowering. This is my way of getting back at someone without actually having a consequence. But it does have consequences because it's secretive, and it drives us apart. And when it's secretive, and when it's a murmur, it's a grumble, it's under our breath, nobody can actually call out the problem and address it anymore. It splits us apart. And I I always think that's so interesting because I find that when we do spend time together, we we seem to get along a little bit better than we thought we would. Take social media, for example. When I was younger, Facebook was erupting. I mean, just completely erupting. It was the new thing. And people who were a little bit older than me, they were on it and they were in college. And I think that I kind of complained about it because all college students were on it and like high school students at the time. We were on this thing called MySpace, which is like ancient now. But then we get on Facebook, we're like, oh, Facebook is so cool. I love Facebook. Look at all these friends that I can have. And then maybe some of the older generation started to look at us on Facebook and they'd say, social media is such a waste of time. Get some real friends. You just have virtual relationships. So, you know, there's kind of like hashing at each other, generations dividing. It's a big problem. Well, now, fast forward to today, if I post something on Facebook, I'm pretty sure that the first person who's going to comment it is going to be like one of my grandparents' friends. Like, it's someone who's older. We find that when we spend time in the same places, we're all on Facebook, we actually get along just fine. Now, I will be honest here. Before it seems like I uh, am just picking on um, older people, uh, I'm not, because I'm starting to realize that I am getting a little bit older. And, and, it, and it kind of came to my realization this week when I was thinking about TikTok. You know what TikTok is? Confession time. I... Uh, I loathe TikTok. I mean, I always, I just, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Like, oops, yeah, I just put on a filter. Oops, look at me now. I don't, it just, it seems fake to me. Like, I don't like sitting there and seeing a 15-year-old boy show up on the screen and say, like, to other 15-year-old girls, you guys want to know what guys really like? It's like, it drives me nuts. And then I realized something. I realized that maybe for the first time in my life, I was just a little too old for the latest and greatest thing. And you might be sitting here thinking, hi, yeah, Danny, you got old. I promise you, it's going to happen to you too. And when we get in those places, we have the opportunity. Are we going to complain and divide? Or maybe will we find out that if we hang out in the same places, we kind of get along? 
So I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, if, if people who are younger than me like TikTok, that includes a lot of you know, people who are in Kairos or people who will be coming through Kairos, maybe we should find out, like, should we make TikTok a part of Kairos? Oh, Lord, have mercy on us, you know. And so I decided I'm going to do some research. So I download TikTok onto my phone. And an hour later, I was no longer doing research. I was standing up trying to learn some shuffle that a high schooler was teaching me on TikTok. It's crazy. I found out that when we hang out in the same places, and we're honest, and we're not secretive, maybe we get along a little bit better than we thought that we would. So without further ado, I'd like to debut. Yes, that's right, Kairos's TikTok. So happy together. It's amazing. We hang out in the same spaces and we find that we're actually maybe pretty happy together. It's uh, incredible what happens when we're not so secretive about our conversations and we mumble about it, but instead we're real with one another. The healing that can bring to our relationships and our friendships, it's really incredible. But what Paul's talking about here is not just a solution for interpersonal relationships. I mean, that's a big part. But it also addresses the problems that the inside us are facing. C.S. Lewis talks about complaining like this. Now, C.S. Lewis, he is the author who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. He was a, a brilliant scholar um, from Oxford University. And he writes this in another book. Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others. He's basically saying, if you want a hellish-like experience, fall into the trap of complaining. He continues, but you are still distinct from it. Then he says, you may even criticize it in yourself. He's like, no, no, complaining's bad. How you doing? Can't complain. Complaining's bad. Don't do it. You wish you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can't stop it any longer. It's amazing. Complaining, it starts to consume us. It's so habitual. It's so contagious. And now we're not a grumbler, but we're really just kind of a grumble ourselves. It's not just C.S. Lewis who says this. There's a study that came out from Stanford, and they wrote that the average person complains 30 times a day. 30 times a day. And the more that we complain, the harder it is to resist it. There's a psychologist out there. His name is Dr. Travis Bradbury. Um, if you've ever read up on emotional intelligence, there's a good chance that you read from this guy. Dr. Travis Bradbury says this. He says, repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. He says, over time, you find it's easier to be negative than to be positive, regardless of what's happening around you. Complaining becomes your default behavior. What we find when we complain is it's easier to complain again and again and again. And then there are more and more people that we just want to get away from. And we end up like the woman in the picture that we were laughing about earlier, who ripped all of her friends out of the photo. We become lonely, and we ache on the inside, feeling like we're no longer anything other than a grumble. See, when we fall into the trap of complaining, I think that it's oftentimes because we were putting our hope in something that was always going to let us down anyway. Isaiah chapter 40, it says this. It says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. I put my hope in a person, they let me down, so now I want to complain about him. 
But of course the person was going to let me down. And I know that because I know that I've let people down. So of course we're going to fall into the same trap with one another. I put my hope in, in, a, in a corporation. I put my hope in a dream. I put my hope in a passion. I put my hope in an activity. I put my hope in a group, a fraternity, a sorority. And if it falls apart, I complain about it if my hope was truly in it. And I feel like I have nothing less. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Those things, if we put our hope in them, of course we're going to end up complaining. But the word of God, that endures forever. Now let me be really clear here. The Bible is not telling us the way to deal with your complaining is just to simply adopt an attitude of gratitude. You know, just replace the sad things in your life with the happy thoughts in your life. No, it's acknowledge what in your life will last forever and what will not. The troubles will not last forever because you are an eternal being. The troubles are not eternal. The people around you, they are eternal beings. And yet something that brings us together is we have this common sense of brokenness. All these different things that we want to complain about with one another. Let's get together on those things and cry out to the one who we can really place our hope in and we can really trust. Hebrews chapter 6, it says this. I referred to this passage back in the fall and I want to refer to it again. It says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. You hear that? Yes, please. I want something that will last for me. I want something that I can depend on. Something I won't have to complain to. It says, it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. And it identifies it here. Jesus is this anchor because Jesus has already gone to these places for us. Jesus has gone into those secret places that we don't want to go into because we don't want to identify ourselves and our problems to the people that we're frustrated with. We don't want to identify ourselves and the problems that we have with corporations, things, issues, governments, groups, you name it. God's saying, I've gone into all those places of trouble for you and I've come out of it. Jesus is a strong and trustworthy anchor for your soul. Now, at first glance, you're like, okay, cool, that's great hope. Maybe you start to think about it a little bit more and you're like, but wait a second. God, I would kind of rather you be an airplane. Because who here has not ever been in the situation where they've prayed and they've cried out, they've screamed out, God, help me, take me away. I want to get out of this. God's not an airplane, God's an anchor. If God was an airplane, I, I, hey, why not take us away from the troubles? But an anchor? I mean, an anchor's purpose is actually to keep you right where you are. Is this insinuating that if you have the Christian life, that if you adopt the Christian life, if you believe in God and accept Christ in your heart, that you're still going to have troubles? Yes, it does mean that. But because God's not an airplane and he is an anchor, remember what an anchor is. And this will give you hope. An anchor is loyal. It never takes off before you're ready. An anchor is with you. It endures every single storm. And maybe you're frustrated, but like, because God, I can't even see you right now. I don't even see how you're working. I feel alone. I feel troubled. There's so many things I want to cry out about. Take me away. Where are you? Or when an anchor is at its best, when it's really working, you can't see it because it has dived deep into the stormy waves. Not to take you away, but to keep you from drifting and to keep you from sinking. You'll have troubles, but God's promise is that he will be with you in it. And 
so when things let us down in the world, when people let us down in the world, we can remember Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2. We can still live clean and innocent lives as children of God. We can shine like bright lights in a world where there are crooked and perverse people, crooked and perverse corporations, crooked and perverse groups. But we never put our hope in those things anyway. It says instead, hold firmly to the word of life, to God's word, the word that promises you, you can trust him. He is your anchor. He will never leave you. And when we have those cries saying, oh, I just want to get away. I want to get away from these people. I want to get away from these things. I want to get away from these circumstances. We remember that God's an anchor. And an anchor never even ponders the question, want to get away? Simply won't do it. Its purpose is to be with you even when the storms are raging. It goes into the places that we don't want to go. And it's loyal to us. And it sticks with us. That's God in your life. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you because he's an anchor. We can trust him. That is who we put our hope in.